from the basement of Ann Arbor, Michigan, it's the Siggy Lama Show, starring Sigmund Lamar. In this episode, a Blood Bowl style guide, so you can talk good like me. A recap of Underworld Cup 2014. And whatever else. And now, your reigning podcast challenge champion and number one chaos pack coach in the United States, Sigmund Lamar! <laughs> We're just going to keep saying that as long as it's true. How you doing, everybody? Siggy here. I want to tell you, it's been a hard time getting back on the old podcast train, folks. It's uh, It feels like a lot of things have been conspiring to keep me away from you and your awaiting ear holes. Uh, work's been really busy. I got this new boss who keeps expecting me to do all this stuff. Like, doesn't he know that the reason I went to work in higher education is because I didn't want to have to be productive? I could go make money if I wanted to do that. I just, I came to work and university libraries because I want to be left alone. I just want to lead a quiet, secluded life where I can take refuge in the past. And these last couple of weeks, I haven't even been able to take refuge in my own home from work because I come home and I got to work in the evening. So it's been hard to find a free evening as of late. And then when I have, I thought I needed to reward myself. And how did I reward myself? I want to talk to you today about video game addiction. You see, back in February or so, I was over at uh, Matthew Vanderby's home, Delavis. He uh, said, hey, I want to show you this uh, video game I'm playing, XCOM. I'm like, no. He said, come on, you'll like it. I'll show it to you. And I said, get behind me, Satan. And before I know it, he's showing me XCOM. Enemy Within, The Enemy Unknown, one of those is the base game, one of those expansion. I own them both now because he, sure enough, he showed it to me and it looked awesome. And I was like, you know, I haven't, I haven't played a, a video game, a computer game, like a PC style game. And uh, well, since the Cyanide, since I was playing the Cyanide Blood Bowl game, before that I hadn't played it in some years because, um, well, in part due to carpal tunnel, just kind of don't need extra mouse time in my day. Although now I've got these nice wrist braces, so that helps a lot. And uh, But primarily just because uh, it was just eating up too much of my life, and there were other things I thought I should be doing besides staying up till 2 in the morning when I really shouldn't be um, saying i got to accomplish one more thing. See, that's the thing. See, just out of college... Got my first real like tower PC, got Civilization 2, and uh, that screenplay that I was supposed to work on that summer and uh, start to make something of myself out in the world, that never happened. I conquered the planet a few times over, spent the next couple years conquering the planet uh, quite successfully. And entertain myself quite a bit, but uh, that is, you know, there, there was a problem. There was a problem where I was playing, I'd get home from work. I did manage to get a job. Get home from work, start playing Civ, 
around 10 o'clock say, oh, I should eat dinner. Uh, pop in like a Jack's pizza. And this is how low I'd gotten. I was eating Jack's pizza every night, which Jack's pizza is the, the frozen pizza. Among the frozen pizzas, Jack's frozen pizza is the pizza you make for yourself when you no longer feel like you deserve love. It's, it's the self-loathing. It's the, it's the self-loathers uh, frozen pizza. Pop in a Jack's pizza, play Civ until it was done. Play Civ while I was eating my Jack's pizza. Keep playing Civ till like 2 or 3 in the morning. Hit save, go to sleep. Wake up, play Civ for like 20 more minutes while I eat breakfast. Take a screenshot. Email the screenshot to myself. Go to work. First thing I would do, download the screenshot, make that my desktop wallpaper so I could plan my moves during the workday. Rinse, repeat. And I didn't realize there was such a thing as video game addiction. I didn't recognize it. I had no, no one was there to point it out to me until I was reading an article about video game addiction. And they defined it. And I'm like, oh, these people are pretty sad. And it was about people who like were ruining their lives. I'm like, I'm not ruining. I'm, I'm showing up to work. I'm not as bad as these people. But the the definition they gave of video game addiction was uh, not being able to distinguish between your in-game goals and your real-life goals. That they were either, you would either see them as the same, you would weigh them the same in terms of your life choices, or the in-game goals would take precedence over real-life goals. And I was like, oh, that resonates. That's me. Okay. I'm getting uh, too upset about the choice about whether to uh, build a laboratory or uh, a tank in my city of three fishes. I would, I remember that city, three fishes. That was from my Polish. In Civ 2, you could, you just would make up your own uh, nation. They were all the same and uh, name all your cities. So my, my Polish capital was three fishes. Ain't that a lark? To hear me tell you that. Anyway, so uh, I've been avoiding PC games until XCOM. And I thought, I saw XCOM and I thought, I, maybe I can handle it. Now, I'm a father now. I, I put away the Cyanide game. I started a tabletop league. I only play Blood Bowl at most once every two weeks. I got it under control. I'm going to buy XCOM, and I'm not going to play it until I file my taxes. That's going to be my reward to myself. That's how I'm going to know I'm ready, is I can, I can buy it tonight, which I did, and I'm not even going to launch it until I filed my taxes. And then I filed my taxes, and I'm like, you know, I don't even need to show, uh, I don't even launch XCOM now. I can, I can, I'm going to prove to XCOM I don't need it. I'm not going to launch it yet. I'm going to start painting my Blood Bowl team. So I paid my blood mode team. And then it's summer, and I just didn't feel like it. And we get around, and then we get to this past couple weeks where I'm uh, uh, working <laughs> all these extra hours and uh, finished, you know, kind of the big Blood Bowl tournament season, Slurpee Bowl, then Chaos Cup, and then Underworld Cup in Franklin, Michigan, which we'll talk about later in the program. 
that's kind of my big, those are my big three tournaments for the year that I kind of plan for. So that's done. And I was, you know, and before each of those tournaments, I happen to have a league game night, like the Thursday night before that tournament. So it'd be boom, you know, uh, that boom sound was the the sound of the the league game. And then boom, boom, that's the sound of the, the two days of the, of the weekend tournaments. And, you know, there'd be the Friday off in between, but the Friday I'd be spending preparing for the for the weekend tournament. So it was like a big four four day tournament bonanza, uh Blood Bowl bonanza that happened three times. You get to the point. So I was, I was just feeling a little bit burned out and uh burned out from work and I'm like, you know, I just need I need something. I'm gonna I'm gonna try XCOM. And I thought, okay, I can handle this. It's discreet. You just play one mission and then you're out of the mission and then there's the the, the other you're like digging steam tunnels or I, there's like this whole part of the game I didn't find very interesting at all. But I'm like, okay, it's it's like there's these discrete missions. I can't do the civ civilization like just one more turn, uh okay, just ten more turns until the temple's built or whatever it is. Um like okay, I'll I'll finish my Mission, and when I'm done, I quit. Nice, discreet chunk. And so I played it for a week. I started on Saturday, and uh, I would, like, finish my work for the night. I'm like, okay, got to play one mission to XCOM. Go to bed. So I did it, and it was working. And then uh, Saturday night, uh, went and saw Mockingjay, the new uh, Hunger Games movie. I, I, I'm a fan of those movies. I haven't read the books. I do like the movies. And uh, for some reason, that got me in the mood for XCOM. So when I got home, I'm like, I'm just going to play one more mission of XCOM before I go to bed. So I played one mission of XCOM. And then uh, for some reason, I was like, I'll just play one more. And so I played one more. I was already too tired. I was like, I was I was ready to go to sleep. But I'm like, oh, I just one more. I deserve it. I worked so hard this week. One more mission. And uh, um, got my whole squad killed uh, during that mission. And I'm like, and then I was all upset about it. Like, oh, I got to go back to the last save point and play that mission again. Oh, shit, I forgot to hit save before I hit the thing. I got to go back to the last autosave. Oh, damn it. That's like the like two weeks of uh, in-game time before. Now I got to build and research all this stuff all over again. And then I like had to stop myself and go, it doesn't matter. There are no negative consequences to having my entire squad killed in this mission of XCOM. No negative consequences, which is something I kept saying at the Underworld Cup. That was kind of like my little epiphany moment. It was like, just do whatever you want. There are no negative consequences. Your team can't fire you as a coach. You can lose as many games in a row as you, as you please. Well... Probably more than you please, but you can lose as many games in a row. There's no, yeah, you lose the game. Who cares? It's no negative consequences. That's why we play games. That's why I, uh, I was saying, um, I think I was saying to extreme is like in video game racing games, I never ever take my foot off of the gas pedal because you know I'm just I'm just gonna crash. Who cares? It's, it's the only time I get to do that. There's no negative consequences to. To crashing, I lose a quarter, or you know, well, two dollars. For some reason, racing games cost a lot more than other games. Why is that? Why you ever notice, Andy Rooney? Anyway, I was gonna keep this short, 
I was telling you the reasons I haven't gotten back. So XCOM, uh, I had my bottom out moment, which thankfully only came about five missions into the game of XCOM. I had my bottom out moment where I, I pushed it a little bit too far, killed my whole squad of guys. That Argentinian heavy weapons guy, my Japanese sniper woman, my Russian run and gun assault guy, he was fun. Now they're all dead. And uh, it snapped me back, and it brought me back to you. I realized in that low point, I realized how much I need you. And it made me appreciate what we have together. And I'm going to commit myself to not letting you down. Again, I, you've been there for me, and I want to be there for you. And so here I am, and so what I just need from you is if you see me start to go that way, you, you, you just be honest with me. And don't be an enabler, Vanderbee. Okay. Also, I updated uh, my Macintosh to uh, Yosemite, the latest uh, OS version, and it's ugly as all hell. Like my nice, shiny operating system, my nice shiny GUI, it's gone with this flat, I mean, they're trying to make it look more like the tablet, but like now the, the application eyeline, uh, icons, they look like they're for five-year-olds. Like I'm, I'm a grown man. I'd, my kids don't come on this thing. I mean, they do, they have Minecraft, but they prefer to play, you know, stupid browser-based games like i bought you minecraft play minecraft you can like learn stuff in my it's like you know teaches you patience instead they're doing like some ostensible math ninja game where you solve five plus three and now you get to play three more levels it's total bullshit and the school pushes that and yeah anyway so yeah that's not making me want to work on the show anymore. I gotta look at this ugly screen. Ugh. I wish I could just listen to it like you. Lucky ones. Well, I picked a, a, a convenient month, so that was about a month of Blood Bowl burnout there. I picked a convenient month to take to get burned out because there hasn't been any Blood Bowl podcast for the last month. I had this whole uh, angle on that uh, about how I was, I was going to be the, the first one back, but then 3 Die Block and Bacon Wrapped beat me to it by, uh, well, they got theirs out this morning. So presuming I get this episode out tonight, because I'm going to try, I'm trying to do a minimal editing this episode. That might also be what burned me out as I did a, a, a ton of uh, editing on the last episode. So this is going to be a light touch episode, folks. I'm just going to, I'm just rambling here. You might have a drive to get to your grandma's for Thanksgiving. So hopefully uh, you need the time as you go over the river and through the woods. And uh, I can be your uh, companion on that road less traveled. That was Robert Frost who wrote Over the River and Through the Woods, right? That's I think I had that straight. Speaking of roads less traveled... If you had been relying on TalkFantasyFootball.org for your uh, news about updates to Blood Bowl podcasts, 
there were a bunch of threads in the general chat section, uh, which is under the general discussion section. It's a general under a general. It's like a field general under a four-star general. That's where all the Blood Bowl podcast update threads used to be. And they all got moved uh, unceremoniously and without announcement to, uh, it took me a while to find it and to kind of search for myself. Uh, under community discussion, there's a podcast like way down at the bottom there. I guess it's just alphabetical. No, it's not alphabetical. Just way down at the bottom in the kind of in the ghetto is uh, a podcast. So somebody, somebody, some moderator on TFF, I think, doesn't listen to Blood Bowl podcasts and doesn't care to hear when they have a new episode. That's fine. That's fine. I really suggest you just subscribe. I mean, if you're going to listen to everyone, just just subscribe to a feed if you can. If you can't, I guess you can't. Maybe you have your reasons. I don't know what they are. And uh, you relied on talk fantasy football to find out there's a new episode, and yet somehow, even though you didn't know the threads moved, you are still hearing this. So um, the, this announcement is for the few serendipitous discoverers of this episode number five uh, who hadn't figured anything out uh, on their own. So uh, I'm sure you're glad I did that. Uh, As long as we're talking about Blood Bowl websites, there's one that's come to my attention uh, because they emailed me, which is a good way to do it. They emailed me at sigilama at gmail.com. Uh... And brought to my attention, this site, it's the Everett Blood Bowl League site. Everett is in uh, Chris Everett, former quarterback for the Los Angeles Rams. E-V-E-R-E-T-T. Like ever. And then et. Ever is in like uh, the kind of four that's for eternity. The four ever. And then uh, with an et is in how an ent would say that he ate. He would say he et. So Everett uh, hyphen, or dash if you prefer, BBL, probably for bloodbowlleague.org. And uh, they got some cool stuff on there. Um, he was telling me about the 40 millimeter pitch designs that are available for free downloads. I've never played on a 40 million millimeter pitch, uh, nor have I seen one uh with my own eyes so i don't even you know i've heard people talk about them i've never uh i've read about them i've never seen i don't know what it's like to play on a 40 millimeter pitch um but if you ever wanted to experience it for yourself here on uh, www.everett-bbl.org there are pitches for you to download and print out and mount on Whatever you want to mount them on. And uh, you can give it a whirl. Also, they got this uh, cool page. Uh, something I meant to do for my league uh, like a couple of years ago and they never did. They got... Uh, uh, I lost it. Here, where is it? I clicked the link and now... Uh, there we go. Under their knowledge resources. Knowledge slash resources. Uh, or stroke resources. If you like to talk about strokes. Uh, They have this page, Advice for Noobs. 
Now, they didn't go with the spelling for noobs. I'm more familiar with uh, N-O-O-B-S or even N-0-0-B-S. Uh, they went with N-E-W-B-S. That might, I wonder if that's the Canadian or Western Canadian spelling for noobs. Noobs. Um, but they got uh, some nice resources here for, for noobs, including, and this is what I meant to do, Links to specific Blood Bowl episodes from a variety of Blood Bowl podcasts, uh, which would be great first episodes to listen to if you're trying to actually learn how to play the game well. Um, uh, the ones I'd highlight here are uh, from Zlurpcast Tactic Zone, The Basics. Uh, excellent um, tactical information in that uh, as i remember um i think it's that one where they kind of talk about the roles and i think they had one called roles the roles maybe that may be a different one um about it wasn't just about you know the different positions uh on any given roster but rather the roles that any position could develop into given their skill progression and of course some positions would be more suited to to do that than others, but um, that was a good episode. And they got, you know, they got a, a pitch invasion one on etiquette, and they got uh, some three die blocks, and they got, uh, uh, you know, so it's, it's some good, uh, you know, about, about five or six podcast episodes that, to point your new player to. So it's, uh, just listen to these. Oh, and then here's the link to uh, the Art of Blocking, uh, old uh, Games Workshop magazine. Uh, is that was in a white dwarf? I don't know what that's from. But it's uh you know essential essential stuff for, for beginners. So this is a good resource. You should steal this. Or rather, you know, point your point your uh point your league to this page. I'm going to. I already have, as a matter of fact. I emailed the league uh the other day telling them to check this out. And you should check that out. Also Another new Blood Bowl website. Uh, he's been tweeting. He's on Twitter, and uh, he sent some uh, messages around. It's called the the Blood Bowl blog. Well, no, it's just called Three B Blood Bowl blog. I'm reading the banner on the site. Three B Blood Bowl blog. I think that's the kind of saying the same thing twice, two different ways. I think Three B is a nickname for Blood Bowl Blood Bowl blog. The URL for which is www.bloodblog.com. Blood blog, blog. And uh, it looks like a lot of uh, work has gone into this, and it's just trying to be kind of a clearinghouse, a clearinghouse of Blood Bowl information. So there's like pictures of people's painted models, and there's match reports, and uh, um, he's even got, uh, well, look at this. He's got. Uh, a little review of uh, Bacon Wrapped Skulls and Ones, podcast number five. That's cool. And uh, uh, I, oh, I don't know where it is now. He even has a list of uh, all the different uh, manufacturers who sell a lot of their manufacturers, but the places you can buy uh, fantasy football miniatures. Which there used to be a great sticky on TFF of uh, equivalent 
products you could buy to represent uh, credibly uh, all of the Blood Bowl races. So, you know, Amazon, here's all the teams out there uh, that would work well for Amazon. So that was a great sticky, and I don't know, I don't know where that went. Use the search function. That's what Darkson would tell me. Um, I haven't, I haven't done that. But that was a great sticky. Whoever took that down should put it back up. Or, um, this fellow who does his blog should put it up on his site. The guy who does the uh, EBBL, EBBL, the Everett Blood Bowl League. His fella, his fella's name is Jason Casebolt. Or maybe it's Casabolt. Uh, he does that, and I don't know who does the blah blah blog. Some, it, he's got uh, posts on here. The author name is Coach, uh, but it's not in the same writing style as the coach who does uh, bbtactics.com, or is that .org? Try them both. Uh, they, they have different writing styles, so I'm I'm going to guess that's not the same coach. Self-described. Anyway, check those out. So that's what's happening on uh, Blood Bowl on the Web. This is a podcast telling you about websites. And I can't hyperlink you to the websites, which makes a podcast maybe not the best place to point you to websites. Anyway, well, here we are. You're driving and uh, or doing laundry or whatever it is you do. Working. Well, if you're working, then you you should be surfing the web. That's what that's what they gave you a computer for. Uh, so that was a lot of talking about people, other people talking about Blood Bowl. I want to talk about how to talk about Blood Bowl, or at least how to talk about Blood Bowl proper. Properly. That was a. I was quoting Arya there. Game of Thrones. So in the pursuit of speaking well and talking right, I will present to you a Blood Bowl style guide right after this. Bacon, bacon, pudding pie, chocolate, chocolate, pudding pie. What's that I see with my eyes? Chocolate, chocolate, pudding pie. You get graham cracker, crushed and crust, fill it up with chocolate cups. You make it in the kitchen, eat it in the den, soon your spoon is hitting tin. Bacon, bacon, pudding pie, chocolate, chocolate, pudding pie. Chocolate pudding, pudding pie, chocolate, chocolate pudding pie. So how many times have you been relaxing in the bath, reading the Chicago Manual of Style, and thinking to yourself, if only there was a style guide for the game of Blood Bowl and all the discussions that we have around the game. There are so many wonderful turns of phrase that have cropped up, emerged over the decades that this game has been around. And so much of it is just balderdash. How can we get these Blood Bowl players 
to speak properly about their own game. Well, I submit to you, this, the first volume of what is sure to be the multi-volume set you can't live without, that will adorn every bookshelf in every home, right next to your second edition box set, your third edition box set, and your crunch. The Blood Bowl Style Guide. Let's begin with the basics, shall we? The most elemental element of the game. The component, the core component that sets this game apart from every other. The block dice. The block dice are such a core part of the game that we have to refer to the, the different results one can get with the block dice quite a bit. And there's been quite a few colorful terms uh, that have been adopted for describing this very thing. Uh, let's just go over all the sides so you, you can picture them in your mind. What's the first one you see? Attacker down. The attacker down result. That's the proper name for it. You probably have gone years without anyone referring to it as the attacker down. People will call it the skull. Fair enough. It's a picture of a skull. The skull represents the attacker down result. Uh, there are many other colorful terms you'll come across. The skull, of course, but more notably, the double skulls and the triple skulls result. You've never heard anyone refer to them as double attacker down, triple attacker down. It, it, it seems that when you get that result, it evokes a an emotional reaction, and so uh, you go with a more primal uh, Jungian image of the skull as a symbol of death is what gets a vote. So when you roll the, the double skulls, it would be a bit gauche to call it a double attacker down. Even though that is the most proper name, style-wise, it's, it's a little on the nose. So go ahead and call that a, a double skull or a triple skull. Very colorful term uh, used by uh, the folks in Iowa I've come to learn from the Three Die Block uh, podcast is to refer to the double skulls as coconuts. They don't seem to use coconut to refer to a single skull face uh, on, a, on a die, on a block die. So if you're all a one die block and you roll a skull do not call it a coconut that would not be proper but double skulls may be referred to as coconuts uh, triple skulls I I don't know if that would also just be referred to as coconuts triple coconuts more research is needed there so uh, if you're doing the one die block just and you want to be polite if you're in in polite society refer to that as attacker down but if it's a, a two die block uh, then go ahead or a three die block then go ahead and call that double skulls or triple skulls and that's that's become adopted usage okay next face this is going to be a big sticking point for me this is the both down result you'll hear people call this now I'm going to say it try not to grind your teeth when I say it people will call this the block down result. They'll say a, a, they got a block down when what they rolled was a both down. 
people who have a podcast named after this face of the die will refer to that as a block down. Believe it or not, folks. It gets worse. There are people who will call this the block die. Now, they have rolled a block die. This is Matt Vanderby I'm talking about. They have rolled a block die, and they've rolled a two-dice-their-choice block. And to say which die they are taking, they got a both down and a push, they'll say, I'll take the block die. Oh, really? I don't think you have a choice but to take a block die. Could you please be more specific? Oh, did you mean the both down result? Because that's what you chose, a both down result. They're both block dice. You can't... Okay, we're gonna take a drink of water. We don't lose our composure when discussing Blood Bowl. That would not be proper. I'm gonna just uh, trill this over my vocal cords. All right, we want to remain mellifluous in our presentation. Now, to cleanse our palate from that most distasteful example, uh, I, I wish to point out that uh, colloquially, the both down result will sometimes be referred to as the pow skull, uh, which again, I think is uh, especially if your character does not have the block skill, then I think the pow skull is a nice, uh, it evokes the gut punch feeling of rolling that result and uh, and your own player going down, especially considering, and this is a footnote, uh, it's called a both down result, even though the majority of the time, I would say, both players do not go down. Nonetheless, we will refer to that as the both down block die because to call it anything else would be chaos, but I, I will accept the pow skull. Okay. Next face on the die, the push. Push, uh, most people will just call that a push. There's very little controversy around the push. I will make a suggestion, though. And that is, take a cue from Strong Bad and Teen Girl Squad. When you roll a push, shout, Arrowed! That's what I'm going to start doing. I think it would be humorous. And it's, and when the game is getting tense, especially, uh, it's a little injection of humors. Often welcome. Another footnote on this one. People will also use the term push to refer to the act of going for it. This is strictly inexcusable. One can only surmise that they have... Uh, co-opted this term from playing Heroclix, where to take an extra action to uh, incur some risk by doing so is called a push. In Blood Bowl, a push is the result, one of many possible results, of a block action. It's not something that happens during a move action or the move part of a blitz action. That's called a go for it. And if you are moving your guy and you then move an extra space and say push and then roll a six-sided die, the one with the pips and not with the block symbols on it, my brain 
wants to kill your brain. Because that's not how you push in Blood Bowl. Defender Stumbles. Also called the Dodge Star. That's a very nice name. It makes me think of the Dog Star, which is Sirius. Is that Sirius? Is Sirius the Dog Star? There have been, I'm speaking tangentially, there have been a number of Dog Stars. And seriousness was not among the qualities generally that makes a dog a star. You think of Lassie, you think of Benji, Rin Tin Tin, Mike the Wonder Dog, that one from Frasier. Oh, uh, yeah, the one from Frasier. Okay, that was a serious dog. That little, what was that? Jack Russell Terrier. Don't remember his name. Haven't watched Frasier in a long, long time. Probably season two. Okay. Well, that settles that. I will accept Dog Star as a nickname for Sirius. Getting back on topic, uh, the Defender Stumbles results, uh, you'll hear it called the Dodge Star. That's fine. We'll accept that. The, the stars, the whole stars, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to uh, the star for uh, Defender Down, Open Star. I'll, I'll treat these as a pair. Defender Down, usually called the POW, or very romantically, uh, on Three Die Block, they'll refer to it as the open star. Uh, I'm very moved by that term, the open star. That an open star, it, it not only is uh, uh, celestial in the sense that it's something bigger than you, it's, uh, it's an engine of creation, uh, it's the fact that it's open suggests endless possibilities, potentials, uh, it's a very affirming result that when you, you know, and a pow is, is very evocative of the violence uh, that comes from a defender down result. And so, and so I think that it's very, that works on a very primal, visceral level. But the open star, that means, that means so many things. It, it means your, your character is trying to achieve stardom. So there's the open, the sense that stardom is open to them, that by throwing this block, by successfully knocking down their opponent, and then proceeding to break their armor and uh, inflict a casualty, that they will earn star player points, that they will progress towards Blood Bowl stardom to the point where they may become a star player. Either... Uh, lowercase s, lowercase p, just being, you know, a, a star on their team, or capital S, capital P, star player, uh, which usually means they don't have block or wrestle or dodge or, you know, the, the skills that um, a, a lowercase s, lowercase p star player would almost certainly have. Funny how that works. Anyway, so, uh, so dodge star, open star wonderful wonderful non-proper ways to refer to the defender stumbles and defender down so I, I encourage those okay, that's, those are the block dice um, 
I got a list of other things here. Uh, just general style guide matters I'd like to cover. You'll hear when people are referring to their skill selection, skills that they might take. Uh, of course, they'll refer to double skills. They'll also refer to single skills as the counterpart to a double skill. There, There's no singleness about them. You're rolling two dice to determine that you've gotten a normal skill. The proper term is normal skill. And then if you happen to roll a doubles result, meaning the same number doubled uh, on those dice and the skill improvement roll dice, then you have a double skill. But if you didn't get doubles, you don't have a single skill. You haven't rolled a single number to get your normal skill. So please, refrain from calling those single skills. Crunchy players. Players with low armor value will often be referred to as crunchy players. I want to address this. Walnuts are crunchy. Among all the nuts, do walnuts seem low armored to you? Or do walnuts seem perhaps very highly armored. Perhaps among nuts, they would be the AV-10 of nuts. Like, you need a real nutcracker to crack open a walnut. A crunchy walnut. And when you use the nutcracker, it crunches. It takes a lot of effort to get that crunching sound. Little peanuts, little pistachios, you can get those open. They're not really crunching. They're, they're kind of splintering apart, uh, you know, kind of snapping a little bit. But even those are taking more effort to get open than what I think you mean when you're saying crunchy players. You're, you're talking about your armor value seven elves, right? You want something that breaks up easily. I would say, like a, a wood elf lineman, I would call that crispy, like a wafer. Wafers are crispy, crispy. Or uh, if you want to go with uh, a, something a little more um, on the nose, Uriel on Orca cast, uh, he gets this right. He refers to them as squishy. Squishy conveys what you want to convey. Squishy means easy to knock around. You're, you're, you're getting right through that armor. Crunchy says the opposite, so don't say crunchy when you mean squishy. So, hat tip to Uriel. What do you call the little toys, the little dolls that you play the game with? Miniatures. Obviously, the industry term is miniatures. But there's lots of different things people will say. People will call them minis. But mini to me is a kind of skirt or a mouse or uh, a mini cooper. In other words, things that are inherently feminine, which Blood Bowl dolls are often not. A fig, people call them a fig, that's a fruit, which is not necessarily feminine, but sometimes is. Adorably, Steve on both down will, and Scott does this too, but Steve Moore will refer to them as people. I love that. I get 
a big grin on my face every single time Steve refers to his the players on his Blood Bowl team as people. I just love the egalitarian uh, nature of that, the, the spirit of uh, inclusion that he'll refer to both werewolves and treemen and flesh golems. They're all people. That's that, It warms my heart. It it does feel a little off, though. People sit on chairs. They should not stand on tables. And your uh, Blood Bowl guys are standing on a table. Drew, on 3 day block, we'll call them pieces. Uh, that does not seem right. That's the opposite. That's very dehuman- dehumanizing. Um, Scott, uh, we'll call them men. Which, you know, that's that's kind of cool. It's kind of like army men. Um, but I never called my army toys army men. I always called them army guys. So for me, they're Blood Bowl guys. They're my guys. And I use guys in a gender-neutral term. At, at, at work, I refer to the women as guys because you just need you need a go-to term, and I use guys. Because, you know, guys and dolls, that doesn't mean the guys can't also be women. The guys and the dolls that you don't know what you don't know which is the male and which is the female. I've never seen guys and dolls, so maybe maybe the movie explains it. Um, or even the stage show. But maybe they maybe maybe there's like a whole song that explains what they mean exactly by guys and dolls. Maybe um, the program when you go to see guys and dolls has a style guide on the proper use of the terms guys and dolls. Maybe I should I should do some research on that. Maybe turn your classic movies will be showing that this weekend. Okay, here's the one that gets me. Offense and defense. Offense and defense refers to, respectively, the team that has received the kick and the team that has kicked. Well, no, more specifically, it refers to the team currently in possession of the ball. That's offense. Defense is the team that does not have possession of the ball. But generally speaking, if you're talking about strategy or tactics, then you're referring to the team that received the kick and the team that did the kicking. Um, You can also refer to these as the kicking team and the receiving team, and that's fine. But where you'll see people use the term offense and defense in a misleading and frankly confusing way is when they'll talk about, say, uh, the usefulness of the dodge skill and how this skill is useful both on offense and on defense. And what they mean when they say offense and defense, if you're reading between the lines, is they mean on their turn and on their opponent's turn. Meaning it's a... You could say that dodge is a defensive skill in that it offers your player protection while they're being blocked on their opponent's turn. But that's not the same as saying it's a good skill for defense. This is bad form. This is bad style. This is why we need Blood Bowl style guides, folks. I'm setting you straight. So when you're talking about a skill that's good for defense, you could say the block skill. The block skill is the best skill in the game because it's good on both offense and defense. That doesn't mean it's good for both hitting and being hit. That doesn't mean... 
you use it both on your turn and your opponent's turn. If you mean those things, then you have to say them like that, or say that it has, um, you know, an attacking component and a defending component, or, or something along those lines. I'll, okay, I'll in the revised edition of the style guide, I'll, I'll give more guidance on that. But I can tell you right now, it's improper usage to say that the dodge skill or the block skill is good for both offense and defense, because that means to me that it's good both during your offensive setup and your defensive setup, meaning when you're kicking or you're receiving. Okay, all right. What else do I have? I, I've been compiling this document since, uh, I'm gonna go to my file history, if uh, Google will let me. I've got the uh, revision history. My first edit in here was back in January, <laughs> January 15th. That's how long I've been compiling this document. This was the first thing I ever worked on for this podcast. I've been so excited to get to this. Uh, records. When you're discussing your record, and you're, as a series of numbers, number of ties goes in the middle. Wins, ties, losses. If you have nine wins, three ties, and four losses, that is a nine, three, and four record. If you have no ties, you don't have to say nine, zero, and four record. You can just say nine and four. But if you have ties in there, ties go in between wins and losses because you're just doing a logical descending sort on the values of those numbers. Wins count for three points or whatever it is. Ties count for more than that or less than that. Losses count for even more or less than that. I said that poorly. It's in descending order of value. Americans will insist on putting the tie at the end because they're used to sports where ties are exceedingly rare. Football is... They're so exceedingly rare that they almost never happen, and so this doesn't come up. That comes up in football, American football, uh, or gridiron, as Chance calls it, which I've been saying that since I was in high school. So hat tip to Chance Kirchhoff for referring to American football as gridiron. I agree. I think that should be the official name of the sport because it's the most uh, single distinguishing feature of it. But that was a tangent. In American football, it stands out among American sports is that in that you will actually have ties, but they happen so rarely that you put them at the end because it's such a you know you it's only every other year or so that there even is a tied result. Um, you know, in college football, it used to be a lot more common, and now it's exceedingly rare because of the stupid overtime rules, which are really dumb. So, not the case in Blood Bowl. So, take our tip from our European friends in their soccer leagues, or as they like to call it, football. The term soccer has been around since the 19th century in Europe, used in Europe. I can cite you uh, sources on that. So, I'm going to call it soccer, because that's what you guys called it 120, 30 years ago. 
uh, in soccer, ties are prevalent, and uh, so this is something that they deal with. They know how to deal with it. They've got experience. They put the tie in the middle. That's what we ought to do, too. I did that whole rant about American sports. Um, I'm counting ice hockey as a Canadian sport. I don't know what they do. I, I used to I used to read, back when I got a newspaper, I used to read the hockey standings. I can't remember the last time I looked at a hockey, hockey standings table. Do they put the ties in the middle or at the end? If they know what they're doing, they put them in the middle. That's all I'm saying. If you're playing Blood Bowl, do the same. Put your tie in the middle. Just do it. Grow up. Okay. Here's one. Here's a very loaded, ambiguous word. Play. As in, um, so I was at the tournament. Uh, oh boy, my first game went really bad. Second guy says, Oh yeah? What were you playing? Now, what do you think he's asked for? Has he asked for the team on my side of the pitch or on the other guy's side of the pitch? It's ambiguous. We need to straighten this out. So, play, meaning I played... If you say, I played dwarves, that doesn't mean you coached dwarves. That means you coached against dwarves. They used to coach. I coached dwarves, or I brought... If you're at a tournament, then I think brought would be a, a good term to use. I brought dwarves, or I'm bringing dwarves, or I am coaching dwarves. If you say, I played dwarves, that means you played against dwarves. So it could be that you played a game of dwarves on dwarves, which would be a very exciting game that you would want to talk a lot about. But let's just clear this up. So at Jingle Bowl, if I get my team painted, I won't. I won't. But if I get my team painted in time, I'm taking Wood Elves, which would be my first uh, Wood Elf tournament. I'm doing that because I'm going to use the Halfling. I've played Halfling at every other Jingle Bowl. Jingle Bowl is a Christmas-themed December tournament in Michigan run by uh, Lindsay. And uh, every year up till now, which I think is only two years, I've played my Halfling team because their team colors are red and white, Christmas colors, and my tree men are... uh, I sculpted them out of... uh, gray stuff and they look like Christmas trees. They're they're modeled after the Stanford tree, the, the mascot of the Stanford Cardinal. My halfling team is the Stumpford Ordinal uh, but it's all themed around the idea of the Stanford tree being my treeman. So I have these like two crazed looking goofy googly eyed trees but they all kind of look like Christmas trees. So it seems like the perfect uh, team to take to Jingle Bowl but I got my Shadow Forge elves which I've been painting up for my league um, pro elf team red and silver also nice Christmas colors so if I get that team done I'll pair the red and silver elves with the red and white Christmas tree green but his hat he's got a hat he's um, red and white and he'll be the tree man on my wood elf team I've never played a what-off team in a tournament. I'd like to try that. That was a tangent. 
I think what I was trying to say was when I go to Jingle Bowl, I will bring stroke coach Wood Elves, but I will play a bunch of other teams, which may or may not include Wood Elves. Wasn't that clear? There was no ambiguity about what may or may not happen in the future there. Uh, just a couple more. Um, oh, football. So I mentioned uh, gridiron being the preferred alternate way of referring to American football. Uh, soccer, of course, uh, is sometimes referred to as football or European football. Or as I like to spell it, football. Uh, F-U-T-B-O-L. Just to make that uh, really clear. Um, oh, hilariously, some Europeans will re- or just soccer fans will refer to American football as hand egg. Touche. And then there's the game that these monsters play in this game called Blood Bowl. We're playing Blood Bowl. That's the, the thing that comes in the box. But what the guys are playing, what the little monsters are playing, that's Nuffle American football. Read, read the fluff from... Uh, it's, it's there in the second edition. It's there in the, the third edition rule book. Uh, it's put back for the, the um, Ice Pelt edition. When Roselle, the half-blind dwarf priest... Uh, reads the rules. He's, he's reading the rules for Nuffle American football, which is how the NAF gets his initials. That's the sport that they're playing. And uh, and the, the, the game around that game that we're playing, that we real-life humans are playing, that's called Blood Bowl. But that's not what they're playing. They're not playing Blood Bowl. Think about it. Think about it. The casualty box. This is... Uh, often called the injury box. Hat tip to the bacon-wrapped guys. They refer to it as the red box, which is not proper. This is an improper term. However, it's very, again, very evocative of of the violence uh, that gets you into that box. And it's nice and short. And uh, it also reminds me of uh, these things you find outside of a Walmart or a McDonald's, these kind of hideous uh, contraptions which contain only the worst movies Hollywood has to offer. And uh, that's kind of like what being sent to a casualty box feels like. And lastly, a uh, personal pet peeve of mine is referring to the failed Dodge Someone attempts a dodge action, fails the roll, they fall down, and that is a failed dodge. They killed themselves. If, they, if the armor breaks and they die, they have killed themselves with a failed dodge. No! That is not merely a failed dodge. That is a tackle. The other player on the other team tackled that player because they went through his tackle zone. Just because that coach didn't roll the die doesn't mean that that player doesn't get credit or shouldn't get credit for a good tackle. He doesn't need to have the diving tackle skill 
or the tackle skill. Any more than a player needs to have the dodge skill in order to have a successful dodge. You have the you can have a successful dodge without the dodge skill. You can perform a successful tackle without the tackle skill. If a guy goes through your tackle zone and he falls down, it's because you tackled him. Take credit. Give your players credit. Credit the other team for making a good tackle. If they weren't there, that tackle didn't happen. They did it. That's a tackle. In football, you don't say, oh, he ran uh, right through the line of scrimmage. And then he fell down all by himself. No, he got tackled by the players who happened to be there trying to tackle him. That's what they're there for, to tackle. So, I've set you straight. I think this is just the first step towards a new, more refined, more civilized era and now, to make sure you've really got this all down, please go back, rewind, listen to all this again, following along and jotting down the examples, writing each one five times. Because as Gimli said to Aomer on the plains of Rohan, I would teach you gentle speech. Anybody can speak that simple hunky's language correctly. Anybody can do it. We have not done it because we have resisted. Resisted. Oh, I don't talk that way. We're on to the recap of Underworld Cup 2014 in Franklin, Michigan. This is one of my favorite. This is probably my favorite tournament I attend uh, in terms of rule set. It's because you get a big honking chunk of TV to spend on whatever improvements you want every round. It's like 150 or 190 every round, something. It was a lot. And you can spend on anything, inducements, stuff on your roster, any stat grade uh, upgrades you please, any skills you please. Uh, it just gives you a lot of possibilities to, to, to build a, a, a pretty interesting roster by the End of round five. So let me give you a rundown uh, of how it breaks down. So the rules are, let me get this right, 1.05 million team build. You can spend that on anything. All inducements allowed, even the wizard. Uh, and then before round one, you add 70K to your team. Spend it on anything you want. You can even spend, you can buy extra team rerolls and the cost isn't doubled. So it's really... Bargain rate prices. Before round two, you add 110K. Before round three, a further 110K. And then rounds four and five each, 150K. So you really have a lot of ways to go. And what I've done in the past, I've taken humans, I've taken pro elves. Last year, I took 
chaos pact uh what i tend to do is just take as many single skills as possible i want i want every point of tv to go as far as possible and i just want a skill rich team by the end some people take a lot of stat boosts or they'll you know use that money to buy a big guy or something not me i i want a a, a good starting roster and uh i just want to maximize that with Chaos Pact, you have the big guys. You kind of have to protect your investment in the big guys. So I end up spending a lot of double points on the big guys, or uh, points on double skills, I should say. The other challenge is you can't just think about what you want to end up with at the end of round five. In in most tournaments, you get all your skills in a lump sum, and so you're you're you just need to build something useful out of whatever combination you can do. Here you have to have, you can only add one improvement. Here's the one limitation is each player can only have one improvement per round, whatever that improvement might be. And so someone who starts with no skills, you might want to give them, say if they were a ball carrier, a marauder, you might give them block and sure hands to make them your ball carrier which is what I did at Chaos Cup and Slurpee Bowl. I prefer to have the Dark Elf. I, I took Chaos Pack this year in case you didn't pick up on that. I prefer to have the Dark Elf, Phoenix Sundown. He's my blitzer. He's my ball sacker. So I give him like wrestle, tackle, and then I want a marauder doing the ball carrier. So I give him block and sure hands. Well, here I can only do one skill at a time. and I need a usable team for round one. I can't have half a team. So I had to make the Dark Elf the ball carrier because having the Marauder with just the sure hands or just the block, unless he has both, he's not really a viable ball carrier. I could have gone with just sure hands and no other skills, but that that's that's not how I'm not I'm not comfortable with that. So Phoenix uh had to give up his ball chasing uh pass rushing duties and instead go back to his original role, uh, ball carrier, which made me very nervous because he has failed spectacularly in that role and has succeeded spectacularly as my main blitzer. But I felt a lot better about having an edge four dodge player being my ball carrier than I did a, than just having a, a sure hands or just a block uh, marauder. So... Uh, so the Frozen Flames, as always, have all the races. Don't play Chaos Pact unless you're going to play all the races. What's the point? Come on. So I had the six Marauders, uh, the Dark Elf, the Goblin, the Skaven, and all three big guys. Two team rerolls. And I went ahead and got the Apothecary, which I hardly used. I think I used it once all tournament, maybe twice. Um, I thought that would come into play more. Um, it was just, my thinking was protect your investment. You're bringing these big guys, you know, you're going to have lots of skill-rich players. You, you don't want those skills leaving the field. So bring the apothecary. So I have 12 players. Goblin sits on the bench. Ignatz. Ignatz Chiggity is going to sit on the bench. And then for round one, my 70K improvements, uh, I took leader on one of the Marauders. Just to get that third re-roll. 
dodge on the Dark Elf. So he's my ball carrier. I get some mobility. And it helps him on defense, too. Helps him get around, get that assist where I need it. And then block on the Minotaur. And uh, so for round one, he's going to do lots of blitzing. He's my, my only guy on the team with block. And how did that first game go? I played against Lindsay's Pro Elves. The Bumbling Elves, I believe they were called. And uh, she had kind of a surprising build. Uh, She didn't take any dodge uh, for round one. Normally, I would, on those Dark Elf Blitzers, that's the first thing I would do is make sure both of those had blodge. So you have the block dodge sidestep, uh, which makes those guys a terrible pain. And uh, I, I don't remember what other skills she had, but uh, I'm not going to remember the games very well. I was going to record this recap like the day after Underworld Cup, but, uh, you know, XCOM. Uh, I do remember it was a 2-1 victory. <clears throat> she I think she scored, and then uh, I just, you know, I got her to score quick enough uh in the first half and then I scored at the start of the at the end of the to end the first half and then scored again in the second and um she was dispirited enough uh by the lack of participation of elf players on the field that uh, there wasn't much of a uh, a push to score at the end of at the end of the game so won that one uh 2-1 uh, second game played against. Let me just make sure I got this right. Played against Peter Mears, whose NAF name is Peter Mears, and against his Necromantic team, which is, I didn't feel like it was a great matchup. Uh, I really, I, I always feel like Necromantic is not a great matchup. Just for me, I don't know why. I always have trouble with Necromantic teams. My one, uh, not my one, my first league championship with pro-elves, was against uh, a necro team. So I guess I've had success against them, but I, I never feel comfortable playing against necro teams. I don't know why. I just don't... Those, those flesh golems is always... And the werewolves are so scary, and then the whites are always just doing the something to make things hard, and I don't know. I just... I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't like... I don't play undead. I don't like playing undead either. I just don't like those undead races. What are they... Just creep me out. Anyway, uh, lost that game. What was it? Two to one, and I don't. I don't remember. I don't remember why. I don't remember anything about that game. Sorry. I did record stats for every game, and I had the sheets, the individual sheets, and I entered the the totals. I'm keeping a spreadsheet of all my total uh, stats. For each tournament in the spreadsheet. And I had the sheet with the for the individual games, but I, I think I recycled them after I entered them into my big uh, spreadsheet. So I don't have that for you. Sorry. Uh, let me give you the skill breakdown for round two, though, in case you're interested. Uh, so Superior Copperheart, he's the team captain. He's the leader. He got block uh, second round just so I got some more reliable blocking on the field. Helps protect that leader skill. And just kind of makes him a useful guy. Uh, Phoenix Sundown, Dark Elf, gets block. So now he's a blodge 
agility four ball carrier, pretty good. The Skaven, Germfast Scuttlecraft. He's my kind of ace in the hole. He always comes through in a pinch for me. Uh, he got wrestle. He's my safety. I keep him back there. And then he can he can charge up and, and get the ball carrier in a pinch. But um, his job is to stay back, keep that armor seven safe, make his speed uh, count in the backfield there. And then uh, the big guy. So I had 110K to spend. Uh, I wanted to get the other two big guys involved more in the game. So the ogre, sleeping bear, he gets block. Mighty Mac, the troll, he gets guard. And uh, so the Minotaur still has block. So I got, you know, two more blockers and a wrestler. No, three more blockers. So now I have four block total on the team and a wrestle. So a little more reliable hitting and uh, some dynamism in the ball carrier. And lost that game two to one. And uh, probably just the big guys weren't coming through for me. You know, that's usually how it goes. As the big guys go, the team goes. Generally, if you if you see that you've lost a game with Chaos Pact, it's a good bet that uh, you were having negatrate failures at bad times. That's just kind of how it goes with the team. Round three. Round three. Another 110K to spend. And here... Phoenix gets sidestep, so now he's block dodge sidestep. The Skaven, Germfask, gets wrestle tackle. Now he's got wrestle tackle hanging out back there uh, as my safety. The ogre and the troll, the garter gets blocked, the blocker gets guard. So now they're both block guard. Moose Jaw. Minotaur still only has block. So unlike last year, last year I really loaded up on the Minotaur. Every round gave him a double skill. I think it was every single round he got a double skill. First he got block, then he got claw, then he got pro. Um, that was probably it for the doubles. I, I'm pretty sure I gave him break tackle and stand firm in there too. And really leaned on the Minnow. And ended up with a good record, three wins and a tie and a loss in that tournament. But uh, really, you know, if someone took out the minnow, I, I was I was in a bind. Um, and people sure target that guy. So I really made my point of emphasis as a coach this time around was not to rely so much on the minnow. And really, uh, and I did, I, I, I did a good job with that. I was happy with how many times I was satisfied to just try to move him, and if he didn't move, oh well. Um, just kind of try to position the other two big guys so that uh, among the three of them, they're kind of taking up lanes and uh, restricting movement and uh, you know doing some hitting where they can do hitting. Keep the minnow in the thick of it if I need to, really have him blocking so I'm not blitzing with him. And that, that, w- that went pretty well. I was happy with that. There were really a minority of turns each game where he was blitzing you know usually on turn one unless i had like a nice juicy target right on the line of scrimmage i might i might uh i did a lot more blocking with him on the line of scrimmage um sometimes if i what thought i could you know put the uh my opponent in trouble 
I would blitz with them, but I really tried not to do that. And round through round three, I was playing against a Dudgeon, who uh, I'd never met before. In fact, I, th- I think he said this was his first tournament. Uh, he's one of the Hampton area guys. He's in that league up there with Mike Bell and and Fevin Lindsay. Um, and uh, he played dwarves. He had a dwarf team with uh, no dodge. Of course, when you, as soon as you add tackle to your uh, mix of skills, you're going to run into a team with no dodge, and that was fine. I only had two dodge in my team. Oh, I forgot one skill. Um, I had kind of a single skill left over, and I really wanted to get two heads on the goblin at some point, so I'm like, this is the round I'm going to do it, because uh, I just thought, at this point, if I need to rely on the, the turn eight throw, it just will help him dodge through uh, a line if need be, or you know, go retrieve a ball or just become a pain by uh, becoming a, be, being an assist or something. And uh, the two heads really didn't come into play until the last game. Um, I could talk about that when I get there. But uh, I, I thought I did a good job. I was happy with the way I designed the roster, so I, I felt like I had a functional team every round with whatever skills I happen to have at that point. So I'm playing Dungeons Dwarves. That was a good close game. Uh, ended up with a 1-1 tie. Uh, I remember being a lot of fun and I don't remember anything else about it. Except it was a fun game and he was a fun guy to play. And that was the last game on Saturday. I like that. Only having three games and then a nice relaxing evening um, hanging out and playing other games. You know, I get I get mentally fatigued. I if you wanna, if you wanna, if you wanna catch me um, in a compromising situation, play me in round four or play me on Sunday because I I tend to get, I think I tend to play worse as the tournament goes on. My record on day two of the tournaments is not great. I think I can't confirm that. I haven't calculated it, but anecdotally, I can tell you it's not as good as day one. Uh, see, so what did I do that night? Well, the uh, non-Blood Bowl games, Friday night, uh, Tom Rummery brought this uh, f- like Formula One racing or Grand Prix, Grand Prix style racing game called Formula, it's Formula D, but I guess you pronounce it however, whatever the French word for the letter D is, D, D, I don't know, but I really enjoyed that game. Tom Rummery showed us how to play it. I I was about to go to bed when I started playing it, so I was really tired. Um, I think I played with Alex Stim and uh, Don. Don might have just been watching. And Pete, Peter Mears, I think he was there. And uh, But that's a, that a really cool mechanic. You're, like, shifting gears. You got a little indicator, like a little gear shift indicator on your player tray. And depending on what gear you're in, you roll different dice to see your movement. So if you're first gear, you roll like a, you're rolling a four-sided die, although I, I think there's only two values on it, one to two. And uh, if you shift up, now you're rolling a six-sided die. And if you shift up from there, you're rolling a 12-sided die or something like that. It's really... It's a cool mechanic. It's really well designed. And that was a lot of fun. Tom destroyed us uh, all, but uh, I I came in second, I think. Had a good time. 
That was Friday night. Saturday night's casual gaming. Uh, I was hanging out with Extreme and Alex again and uh, Joe Wilson, uh, Dr. Goldfinch. And uh, Extreme was showing us his new game he's designing called Elf, which is cool. It's kind of like Blood Bowl 7s crossed with Dreadball. Uh, it's intended to be like fast-paced, continuous play. So no resetting after a score. Like that's like Dreadball. And uh only elf teams. It's it's all Blood Bowl rules. But the only four rosters available are the four elf rosters. And no team rerolls. So just really quick quick play. And uh I watched he, he showed us how to play and I, I watched play. I, I didn't end up playing. I was I was very happy to watch and just hang out and talk at that point and then we ended up playing uh survive this uh game where an island is disappearing one tile per turn and you have all your little race of people because everyone's a different color it's very uh very race conscious game i was the yellow people and i decided uh that the island being destroyed was God's wrath for our decadent lifestyle. And also that my people were cannibals, which is there anything more decadent really? And uh, I won that game. My, my people were incentivized to get themselves off in order to have a uh, plenty of food supply. But uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun. And then got, got myself to bed, got a good night's sleep. Preparing for day two. So far this tournament season, my day twos have not gone well. 0 for 2, both at Zlurpy Bowl and at Chaos Cup this year. So I wanted to improve on that. So round four had 150k to spend on skills. Any improvements, but I'm only taking skills. I... Give horns to the Skaven. So now he's back there at safety. Wrestle, tackle, horns. Movement seven. Now, now he gives me, you know, not only a very reliable two-die block uh, as a safety back there, but also he can provide some more hitting power up in the box if I need him up there. All three big guys are getting claw. Claw, claw, claw. So three doubles up there. And then uh, just give two of the Marauders block. Block, block. Mackie Gnaw and Mackie Knack. Uh, they both get block. Setting them up so that in round five they can get guard. Because I've got no guard. So I'm in, I'm in a round four. Still have not added guard beyond the ogre and the, the troll. And I would have thought that would have got me into more trouble... Uh, I didn't feel like it hurt me that much in round three against those dwarves. Uh, and it, it, I didn't think it was really the problem in round two against the, the Necro. I wasn't having trouble getting good blocks. You know, either either I was positioned right or I could get decent blocks with the non-big guys or the big guys, if I needed to kind of get things going, they were the ones who would throw the initial block to... To kind of get the ball rolling so that my other guys could have two die blocks. And, you know, sometimes that worked, sometimes it didn't. But that was that was the plan. 
and uh, I get to the top table. Oh, I didn't talk about how the teams broke down. So every year at Underworld Cup, there's uh, a theme around two teams with team captains who draft players for their team or draft coaches for their team. Um, so this year it was uh, Katie Music and Mike Valdrick, the that betrothed pair. They were like the two heads of a two-headed ogre named Mady. And the two heads were arguing with each other and uh, they were like became rival coaches. They couldn't play directly against each other. Well, they did have one round where they played directly against each other. I got drafted by Mike. I think I might have been his very last pick. I was last when they had the the big team sheets uh, on the wall. I was the last one listed on his team. So I might have been the last one picked. I don't know if I was or wasn't. I still, nonetheless, I appreciate being picked. Thank you, Valdrick, even though you don't listen to the podcast. So screw you. Round four, I get to play Katie. And she'd been having a miserable uh, weekend. In fact, her whole team was kind of being squashed by our team. I think by by the end of round three, uh, Mike's team had accumulated Team Flannel. Our team article was we wore flannel shirts. Mine wasn't actually flannel. They were vintage cotton shirts. Um, not necessarily flannel, but they were all patterned. So it was good enough. I think there was a, a budget conscious decision. That, that's fine. I'm perfectly fine with that. Team Flannel had enough points by the end of round three to win the whole thing, the whole team tournament. So, And uh, Katie was leading the charge by not having any wins up to that point. I think she was 0-3 after round three, and then I drew her and uh, her dwarves, and I had just added all that claw on the big guys, so I was kind of smacking my lips. And this was kind of this was the big win of the tournament. This was the, this was the dominant uh, performance by the Frozen Flame against the Frozen Flames against Girth, uh, her dwarf team. Which you know she's won uh, a, like a Gen Con bowl with this team. She's come in second place at a Chaos Cup with this team. So I was. Well, I think that might have been her undead team, Winter is Coming, that came in second place at Chaos Cup. Anyway, she's done very well with dwarves in the past. And uh, <clears throat> so I was really happy to get a 2 nothing win. I think her problem might have been she took an opposite tack of mine with her build. Um, you know, I, I'm really into spreading the wealth around, making my points go far just getting as many skills as possible on the roster. Uh, she was much more about building strength-boosted super players. So she, I think she had, were both of her runners strength-boosted? Maybe both of her troll slayers, too, were strength-boosted. And, uh, I mean, that caused me some problems, uh, but it, you know... Once I started clawing and removing her guard blockers, uh, that didn't, it, you know, the game got a lot easier. So it just wasn't, it wasn't a good game for her. She was a great sport. She was a lot of fun to play. All my, all my teammates were, or uh, all my opponents were, were good sports. Uh, with one asterisk, I'll get to that at the end. So round five. So I'm uh, at this point, 
I'm uh, two wins, one tie, one loss. Feeling good, feeling happy, really happy to start my Sunday with a win. Uh, so my first Sunday win of the year. And uh, round five, I pull the odd man out, uh, Falcon, Ryan McKinnon, co-organizer of the Underworld Cup, along with Saul Nicely. Um, once again, doing an amazing job on an amazingly fun tournament. And he's playing Underworld, which is nice. I, you know, I like to see that. You like to see the odd man out take a lower tier team. I think that's the right spirit. So hat tip to him. Big kudos to him for doing that. And uh, he's a scary coach. I've played him before, never beat him, uh, tied him a couple times. Um, and uh, Underworld coach is a scary team to play against someone who's really good at positioning because uh, it's a pretty mobile team, especially if they've really mutated those goblins. So I was really relieved to see that he hadn't taken any two-headed goblins because that's the thing that really uh, has flustered me in the past about playing underworld teams. So I had the only two-headed goblin on the field. Uh, he had uh, he had a couple of Skaven linemen with uh, wrestle and two heads and dodge. So some very mobile... Uh, they I think they also had strip ball. So they were some pretty mobile uh, uh, ball chasers. And then uh, a couple of you know, just killer blitzers, you know, claw, mighty blow, pile on. It might have been only one that had pile on. And they both had guard. Um, had the troll. The troll wasn't that scary. I know it had stand firm. I don't remember what else it had. I, th I think it probably had claw and maybe block. <clears throat> and, uh, and that was kind of it. One of the throwers had something, but none of the goblins had any skills. So, um, he just kind of loaded up the Skavens and the troll. And, uh, and that was a, this was a tight game. Oh, so for my round five roster, what did I do? With my last 150K in improvements, I bought myself. Uh, so both of those Marauders, Mackie Naw and Mackie Knack, that uh, I got block in round four, they got guard in round five. Phoenix Sundown added tackle. So just uh, make him more useful on defense. Make him a kind of a secondary blitzer or marker if it need be. So block dive, sidestep, tackle. That's a good ball marker. Um, the big guys all add pro. Just trying to add their to their reliability. So uh, so the final tally, I've got the superior copper heart with leader and block. I've got Mackie Naw and Mackie Knack with block and guard, and then three regular uh, marauders. I've got the, the Dark Elf with block, dodge, sidestep, tackle. I've got the Goblin with two heads. I've got the Skaven with wrestle, tackle, horns. The Troll and the Ogre have block, guard, claw, and pro. And the Minotaur has block, claw, and pro. So... Again, invested the least amount in, in the minnow out of all the three 
big guys. And I thought I thought that worked well. I was I, I'm I'm gonna do that again. That's kind of my that's my approach for Chaos Pact for next tournament. I take them to, which might be Jingle Bowl if I I guess I should take halflings. It's a Christmas tournament. It's a charity tournament. Should take halflings. That's my gift to my opponent. Also, they're Christmas colors, and I won't get my elf team painted in time. Let's face it. I've got basically a week when I get back from the holidays. So, Okay, so uh, round five, I'm facing Underworld, and I don't remember much about that game except that he kept kind of crashing in around my cage, uh, and I couldn't... I, I wasn't hurting his guys. I, I, I wasn't getting the one casualty I got that game. I was really hoping to get more. I, I, was getting, I got plenty of casualties against those dwarves, Katie's dwarves, like four, three or four casualties against those dwarves. The only casualty I got against the chaos, or uh, sorry, the underworld was when Germfask uh, drew a bead on a skitter stab stab. That's the other thing I forgot about Ryan's underworld team. He had skitter stab stab. Before that gutter runner could do anything, uh, Germfask executed some Skaven on Skaven violence, blitzed him and and casualty him right out of the game. So that was great. Um, but otherwise, uh, these rats and goblins and troll were really putting a lot of pressure on my cage and I was really concerned with keeping those wrestled two-headed Skaven linemen off my ball carrier. I didn't have any sure hands on my roster the entire tournament and uh, this was the first time it really I felt threatened by not having them. So I was, I was really nervous about that choice about not, not having any sure hands but I thought well it's so easy to take sure hands in a tournament like this that maybe nobody will bother with the strip ball. I've seen it go both ways, but I, I took the, the gamble and, uh, and, it, and it paid off, I thought. Um, except in, in this game, I don't know if he, how many times he actually got the ball on the ground. He might have done it once or twice. Um, but really, I was just having a hard time when he would put the pressure on my ball carrier you know, making him pay. You know, you, you come in and you pressure the cage. You want to get some good blocks in, especially against a low-armor team, and, and make them pay for that pressure. And I, I just wasn't making him pay. And, you know, Ryan's a better positioner coach than I am. So that was definitely an issue. Uh, the Skaven Blitzers were removing guys from the field. Not as much as he wanted, certainly. Um, the, the, the Chaos Pact armor held up, but... Uh, but, it, you know, it was, it was a scary game, and, and uh, I'd, the ball would be on the ground in, like, three tackle zones, and that two-headed goblin would dodge in there and get the ball and, like, fail the handoff or something, you know, when it, once he got it out of there. There's all these little things that kept going wrong, and, and it ended up being a one-to-one -one tie. That was, that was a really fun, tight game. So both of my tight games actually might have been the two most fun games just because they were so competitive and went down to the wire and and wasn't really sure what was going to happen. So so I ended up uh, with a two-win, two-tie, one-loss record. Was really happy with that. Uh, extended my lead as number one 
ranked Chaos Pact coach, United States, number 18 worldwide. I think uh, I think the top 10 is doable. I'm going to try to get in the top 10 worldwide for Chaos Pact. Wouldn't that be something? Of course, um, before I left Friday night to go to Saul's for this tournament, I was really... I'd been planning to take pro elves to this tournament and I didn't come close to getting my team painted in time. So it, it dawned on me. So like for the couple days beforehand, I was like, okay, I could take cast packed. I could take humans. I could take halflings. Those are my painted teams. So I kind of made rosters for each and I'm like, yeah, I just don't really like the, I don't think the rule set works for halflings. You have to take too many double skills, you know, Halflings are already starting in a hole, and I thought every round I'm getting deeper and deeper in the hole. Just halflings are falling farther and farther behind as a as a viable team. And you know, I your goal with halflings it's not necessarily to win games, but you you've scored a victory if you can make your opponent sweat. That's what you're trying to do with halflings. If you can make your opponent sweat before they get their victory, you've won. And then if you tie, then you've really won. And then if you win, you've super won. So, but, you know, losing the game is fine as long as you've made your opponent sweat. And just looking at the, how the, the, the team was going to progress round by round, I just didn't see that happening. So I didn't want to do with the halflings. Uh, it's a really tough tournament for humans. I've played it with humans. Um, you know, you end up around uh, 1,500 TV. What's the, what do you end up with? What do you end up with? Got it right here. You end up with a 1600, 1640 TV. And uh, that's, you know, that's around, right around 1500 in my experience is where humans really start to kind of suffer compared to their peers. Um, so that's not, that's not good. Uh, and, uh, and so that was lots of chaos packed. And so I, I got to the point where I realized I'm nervous about losing my number one spot. And I'm like, no, that's really dumb. There's nothing lamer than not playing a team because you are afraid of losing your ranking with that team. That's like the most despicable thing you can do, really. Um, it's just not the way to play the game. So I had to tell him, I, I said to my wife before I left, I said, Seymour, Seymour, tell me it's going to be okay if I lose every game. If I lose every game, it'll be all right. I'll still have fun. And so she told me, you can lose every game and you'll still have fun. I'm like, you know what? You're right. That's why I married you. So I I was very relaxed, not nervous about my games, and that helped. That helped. So there's no negative consequences to losing in Blood Bowl. They can't fire you. You have to remember that. So final tally of stats, since I recorded this, I'm going to tell it to you. Um, let's see. Touchdowns. Phoenix, Sundown, with Dark Golf, scored six touchdowns. Mackie Knack, he got one. He picked one up. Uh, that was against the Dwarves. I remember Katie's Dwarves. So Marauder got one in. But otherwise, the, the, the Dark Elf got it done for me. That Goblin, Ignatz, he could have he got one. In that last round against Underworld, if he could have just uh, held on to that ball after he scooped it out of all those tackle zones. Oh, well. You silly little booger. 
and uh, only really got one chance to try the throw uh, and uh, didn't pull it off at all. Maybe I tried it twice, but it never, I, you know, never even got the pass off. The big guy would fumble it or something like that. Uh, casualties, Moose Jaw, Minotaur, got five. Five casualties in five games. Not bad. Um, the ogre got three. Troll got none. So that block, mighty blow, claw, troll did not manage a single casualty. The Skaven and uh, a Marauder with no skills. No, that's the one, one of the ones with block. They each managed one, one casualty. Uh, so seven touchdowns. 10 casualties, no completions in five games for the team. And uh, that's it. That's all she wrote. That was the tournament. So I had a good time. Thank you to Saul for and Ryan for running that and uh, Saul for hosting and uh, all the fun people I got to have fun with. It was a great time. Oh, and one more thing. Here's my asterisk. Um, I... I'm a slow player, and I try to apologize to my opponent up front. I'm like, I will, I tend to start off slow. I will try to speed up towards the end. Um, there was one game where uh, both me and my opponent were both being slow, and we were way behind, um, you know, at halfway through the time we were like on turn six of the first half and so we're well into the second half and there's like 30 minutes left and i'm i keep saying like oh i should hurry up and then i would say uh we should we should hurry up our turns let's try to let's try to play faster and then we were still running behind so i'm like i'm gonna i'm gonna set a timer and uh uh, and there was one turn when i did that when i kept going after the timer because it was kind of an important turn but we were playing at a faster clip, and we were making it up, and uh, and I thought everything was cool. And then at the end, like for the last couple of turns, I'm like, you know, are you enjoying this game? Is everything cool? And there it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever. I just I just want the game to end. And I was like, okay. Um, and then uh, after the game was over, then the opponent said to me, you know, you kept saying to play fast and I felt like you were hurting me and that you weren't playing faster and I was like really I, I totally sincerely apologize like I didn't that I, I believe you that that was happening that wasn't like a conscious thing and um, and I wish you'd said something during the game and my opponent was like well I didn't want to be confrontational I'm like well that's not being that's not being contra- confrontational. That's if there's an if there's an issue, you know, communicate with me. Point being, you know, if you're gonna bring it up, don't wait till after the game to bring it up. Say it at the time, so when something can be done about it. I'm willing to work with you to make the game as fun as possible for both of us. And uh, you know, being passive aggressive just isn't the way to solve your problems. I, I wish I could say this in a more articulate way. I'm really tired, and I just want to end this. <laughs> I just want to end this episode. This is going really long. We're going to get close to two hours. No, we're not, because I'm going to end it right here. Anyway, that's the end of the wrap-up for Underworld Cup 2014. Thanks to everyone, including all my opponents, even that one. I still enjoyed playing with you and hanging out with you this weekend. That weekend, not this weekend. 
This weekend, I'm going to be with my parents, eating twikey and assorted other stuff. Post-game sequence. Let's get right into the post-game sequence. Only got a few things to say. Uh, thank you to uh, my lovely family for helping me out with the All in the Shambly sketch. Uh, Seymour. My, she played the little girl and then uh, my three children making their acting debut. All three of them. That was their first uh, recorded performance. So thank you to Floyd and Gusto and Nickel Knuckle. You did all. You did a great job. Uh, thank you to, uh, I haven't mentioned this before just because I keep slipping my mind, but, um, Nick sent me, uh, some kind of song lyrics that he's been working on back in, uh, August and September. I, well, I, he sent him in August. I finally wrote him back in September. Uh, that's cool. Keep working on that, Nick. Love to see your next draft. I'm flattered that you wanted to share that with me. And uh, speaking of sharing with me, still accepting entries for the What Does Siggy's Voice Look Like contest. I got one entry. Very happy with the entry I have. Would really like to have more. So please send in your entries to, and it can be in any form, your little heart desires. What does Siggy's voice look like? So what does, even if you know what I look like, send it, come on, send it, just send me an entry. Uh, send it to SiggyLama at gmail.com. That's S-I-G-G-Y-L-L-A-M-A. Uh, or, you know, send me a message on Twitter. I'm on there too. I'm a SiggyLama on there too. Or PM me on TalkFantasyFootball.org or however you want to do it. And the prize will be something uh, exclusive and personalized and I don't know what it is yet, but it'll be, it'll be, it'll be worth your time, I'm sure. However, however much you put into it, that's what you're going to get out of it. That's what this contest is all about. And that's it. That's uh, that's all I need to say. This has been a long episode. I didn't. I really thought this would be like an under an hour episode. I just, I guess I'm long winded. Imagine if there was a second person here to talk to. Uh, how much longer this could go. Or uh, to paraphrase uh, the famous quote, if I'd had more time, I would have given you a shorter podcast. Which is true. Have a good Thanksgiving, everybody. And I'll see you next episode. This has been the Siggy Llama Show. So how do you think we've been doing lately? You can tell us. We love getting your feedback. That can be a review on iTunes or something on one of the social media outlets. Still waiting for somebody to make a fan page or a group page on Facebook or whatever it is or tell us how to do it. The best kind of fans are rabid fans who do work for you. Are you that fan? Not so far. Join us at Jingle Bowl in Orion, Michigan on December 2nd. 6th. December 6th. That's a 6. 
And remember, just because every Blood Bowl podcast puts out its new episodes on the third week of the month, doesn't mean you have to listen to them all as soon as they come out. Space them out. We could space them out for you, but you have the power. Listen to Siggy Lama Show first, and the others when the mood strikes you. And thank you for your kind attention. the best.